Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. how as a child when we would skin our knees and elbows, mom could hug us, pick us up, kiss the boo-boo, and make it all go away. It's been years since my mom did that, but I still remember how she would just scoop me up and say, let me kiss it and make it better. And remarkably, it worked. It's amazing how a little hug, a small kiss, and still for me, just get a Band-Aid on it. I got to get that blood covered up and get it out of sight, can just make it all seem better. The life of a child is so simple. Now, though, with crow's feet and some worry lines, we're all grown up. Life seems so complicated. But if we could go back to the feeling of that good old squeeze and an I love you for mom or anyone, we could solve a lot of the world's problems. So 20 years ago, Pastor Fulton Buntain wrote this book called America Will Laugh Again. If you calculate 20 years back from now, it was 2001. And he wrote this book a few months after 9-11. Back in 2001, Sean was the youth pastor at Life Center in Tacoma, Washington, under Pastor Buntain. And on September 10th, 2001, we went in for an ultrasound for our baby girl, Savannah. I was already high-risk pregnancy, so we needed to go in for an ultrasound again, again since we suffered multiple miscarriages. The ultrasound tech got this sick look on her face, again. And that look, I know some of you have experienced. She said, hold on, I'm going to go get the doctor. The doctor came in the dark, already tense room and showed us a dozen problems wrong with our baby. The doctor then encouraged us to abort. We didn't, of course. We instead silently drove home with tears as our world had just caved in. The next day, Sean called me from work and said, turn on the TV. I turned it on to see a building on fire and I asked Sean, where is that? As we sat on the phone together, we saw the second plane hit. I watched live as people fell to their death. Somehow that day helped me. Pain and suffering, it didn't seem to be only mine anymore. Pastor Buntain later with us would bury our daughter Savannah. After she was born, she lived 18 days and died on February 25th. We helped a lot of people, but he helped a lot of people that particular year. So he wrote a chapter in the book I will be referencing often today. And in that chapter, he said, if we could just go back to the feeling of a good old hug and an I love you, we could solve a lot of the world's problems. 20 years ago, with our country at war, not with each other like we are now, but with a terrorist group, he wrote this. It's a little eerie that 20 years ago in the pages of America Will Laugh Again, he said this. I can't help but wonder how some of our racial problems might be healed if we could just wrap our arms around each other, no matter what our color, and hug each other. And with that hug, say, look, we're just all fellow pilgrims on planet Earth. How about us getting along? I think that would save some of the drastic situations from ever developing. Even though relationships seem so complex, so difficult, we are all basically the same. Today, I want to preach a message on practicing forgiveness 
and acceptance. Let's pray. God, thank you for my friends that today will not only experience your forgiveness, maybe your forgiveness again, but they'll learn how to forgive and to accept themselves and others. God, thank you that the pages of a book that inspired this message 20 years ago are so reflective of what we're going through today. A divided nation, divided families, even divided minds and confusion. God, let this help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Roman Catholic Church has a practice that's called confession. It's probably not understood properly by us Protestants, but there is an interesting rule in it, and it's this. In confession, once a sin is confessed and an absolution has been provided, the individual is never allowed to reconfess the same sin again. Now, this does not mean that the same sin will not be committed again, but you cannot confess the same sin over and over again. You have been given forgiveness. This is done to emphasize the finality of forgiveness. While there may be future sins, those that have been forgiven are forgiven. I'm convinced that if people understood the power of forgiveness for themselves and others, our families, our relationships, and our nation might be much healthier. No, it would be. We wouldn't need to see the sins of our fathers paid for by our children and grandchildren. So in staff meeting a month ago, pastors shared this story. You know if you watched Come and See, or you can go back and catch that. He went to the very place he lived, right on the Detroit River. It was run down, it wasn't a great neighborhood, and to live on the Detroit River was not luxurious. So he grew up there where rats were in the river, because at that time, sewage was dumped in the river. He had rats in his ceiling. He could hear them chewing. And his, he had them in his bedroom. He had them all over, but he could hear them in the ceiling of his bedroom. And his friend, Sean, who was in our wedding, so I can totally picture this, he moved in with the Hennessys and stayed in Sean's room. So that other Sean started feeding the rats from the top of the dresser and eventually from his hand. The rats grew and grew and got fatter and fatter. And one night, my Sean woke up to the screams of the other Sean who had a rat chewing on his bloody ear. Pastor left us with this. If you feed a rat, it will never go away. If you feed unforgiveness, it will never go away. So how do you kill the rat of unforgiveness rather than feed it? It's tied up into two words. One is forgiveness and the other is acceptance. So imagine what your family would be like if you were the one to practice and be the example of forgiveness and acceptance. Do you think that your relationships would be better? Of course they would. Living in forgiveness is good for your health. Science is starting to catch up with what God told us in the Bible. The USA Today wrote one of the first articles about 20 years ago, and the headline read, Learning to Forgive Can Benefit the Forgiver. They probably believed they were the first ones to realize it. And they quote in, an, in the article Stanford University psychologist Carl Thorison. He said, Forgiveness means giving up the right to be aggravated and angry and the desire to strike back. Forgiveness is more than just a concept. It's an event. But it's something that happens, but something that happens weekly, monthly, annually. Let's think of it like exercise. I could exercise tomorrow, Monday, and I could exercise for that day. Or maybe even I could stretch it and count it toward my week. But I'm not exercising for next week. I will need to exercise next Monday for next Monday and for the next week at best. We can't set ourselves up to expect that the forgiveness work we put in today will last all month or all year. 
You will get newly offended or hurt. You'll have a memory, maybe a memory of how you messed up or how someone abused their power over you. And you will begin to ask the question, did I really even forgive the first time? If I did, then why do I keep thinking about it? But you ask, aren't we supposed to forgive and forget? Here's the problem with that man-made cliche. It's that God can do that, but we can't forget. God can and does forgive and forget, but we are incapable of forgetting. When we set the standards of forgiving and forgetting too high and then we don't forget, we quickly question ourselves and even God's healing that we asked for. Satan comes in very subtly, and he comes in subtly most of the time. Let me repeat that, most of the time. He doesn't show his hand. He is a prowling lion. 1 Peter 5-8 through 8 says, Be sober, and in the Amplified, well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. We are told to be alert and cautious at all times because if we aren't, we may blame God for the work of the enemy. We may blame God that we can't forget. We can't forget the person who hurt us, even though we have prayed and journaled and even had tough conversations. And still, the memory persists. Remember, we are incapable of forgetting. The phrase, sea of forgetfulness, it's not actually in Scripture. When people mention the sea of forgetfulness, they are usually referring to several passages that talk about God's forgiveness and how when we are justified in Jesus, God forgets our sins so completely they might as well be buried at the bottom of the ocean. The main passage that contains the idea of the sea of forgetfulness is in Micah 7:19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Another verse in Isaiah 1.18 says that God will make our scarlet sins as white as wool. And then Psalm 103.12 expresses it another way. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, we've heard that grieving has cycles or stages, but so does forgiveness. There is denial, shock, mourning, numbness, anger, and even more emotions. And even after we forgive, we will have a memory pop-up that starts the cycle or stages over again. We tell people to give themselves grace for the grieving process, but when it comes to forgiving and forgetting, we either refuse to try or try and feel like it didn't work. So how do we forgive if we can't forget? And that hurt continues to pop up in our mind. To truly grasp forgiveness, we must first understand the forgiveness that God has extended to each of us. As pastor said a few Sundays ago, we are told to love our neighbor as ourselves, but some of us don't love ourselves enough to move to the neighbor part. You can't seem to forget yourself for your part of the divorce, for your part of the sever with your kids. You can't seem to forgive yourself for the abortion, the affair, the theft, the way you ended it with a friend. You can't forget so you think you haven't been forgiven. But as you just saw, God serves as our example of forgiveness. God is willing to understand who we are, where we've been, and what we're going through. Now, we must be willing to try to understand ourselves and our past. And yes, this is a plug for Journey to Wholeness, because if we can begin to understand ourselves and our past and forgive ourselves, it is a great exercise to strengthen the muscle of forgiving others. Then we may be more willing to understand the other person, even the bad person that you may have put boundaries 
around, and that's fine, but you can begin to understand. There's a true story that illustrates understanding so well. There was a young woman who joined a church singles group. She was obnoxious. She came into the group and disrupted everything. She was loud, and she was boisterous about her opinions. She spoke when she shouldn't have been listening, and on top of her difficult personality, they said she was unkept and ratty looking. She was the kind of person the group silently wished would just go away. One day, they had a little discussion group, and they circled up, and they were asking everyone to talk about their upbringing. When it came her turn, the young lady started to share her life story. Her mother wasn't married, and she was unwanted. Her mother put her in an orphanage. Before she was 18, she was in seven different foster homes. One of the times she moved out of the orphanage into a home, she thought she had finally found a family. But that family dissolved in divorce, and she went back to the orphanage. One year at Christmas time, she again thought she had found a family in a home. This family had a tree. They had gifts. To her, they had everything. And she thought, now I'll be able to stay. I'll have a mother and a father. But that decayed too. Now, something very special happened as that young girl told of her sad life. As she shared, the group started to tear up. They started to understand. And when they understood, they reached out and hugged her. They drew her in. You can't love someone fully unless you understand them. Likewise, you can't forgive someone fully unless you're willing to understand. So step one in forgiveness is clearly understand. Listen to understand others or consider their background and pain and abuse. Now, here's a cliche I like. Hurt people hurt people. That's a good one because we need to consider people's heart and what they have stored up and understand what comes out when they speak and why. So Luke 6.45 says this, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. This understanding may help you forgive. Step two in forgiveness goes beyond understanding to acceptance. But people are quick to judge and condemn. When we become judgmental, the forgiveness process stops. We become emotionally separated. Again, this starts with forgiveness of yourself. The difficulty with forgiveness is that forgiveness won't work unless you accept it. God will always accept your repentance. You must too. We have always made our kids ask forgiveness, and the other has to say, I forgive you to move on. There is power in saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And next being told, you are forgiven, rather than, I'm sorry, followed by, it's okay. So we tell our kids, no, it's not okay how I, mom, yelled at you, it was wrong, it was over the top, will you forgive me? It's amazing how they quickly rebound from that. God is asking us to forgive ourselves and others, to starve the rat, to kill the rat. Unforgiveness turns on you and brings more pain, but accepting the forgiveness of God and then turning a measure of that forgiveness to someone else is like giving yourself a hug, making that skin knee or that hurt heart all better. So in Luke 7:36, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, notice stood behind him, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair that she wrapped around because back then a prostitute would have let her hair flow down. It would have been long. The perfume would have allowed men to know she was a prostitute. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love was shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What's said here is, for she loved much. The connection in this statement gives us the evidence of forgiveness. The one who is forgiven little loves little, meaning that the one who is forgiven little is thus not able to love much. Jesus' point is that the person who realized how great a gift of forgiveness is because they have a deep sense of their own sin has a great love for the one who forgives, and that's God. There's a story that I think illustrates this so well. There was an old tattooed sailor who was dying in San Francisco in this seedy hospital. He had lived a life full of sin. Every port he got into, it was drinking and cussing, prostitutes, wickedness, stealing. He was clawing and scratching for the next crazy encounter. He'd done it all. And now he was dying, coughing his life away with emphysema. Someone called the church and they sent out a young pastor. The pastor was very inexperienced but full of the Holy Spirit. So he walked in the man's room and he looked at the man and he said to him in his young simplicity, Are you sorry for your sins? The old sailor, trying to be as honest as he could be, said, No, I'm not. I've had a lot of fun. I went a lot of places and I did a lot of things. I can't tell you, sir, that I'm sorry. In that moment, as led by the Holy Spirit, this young pastor said to him, Sir, are you sorry that you're not sorry? And with that, big tears filled the old man's eyes and ran down his cheek. He said, yes, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. There's a basic truth here. We have all failed. We have all not done the things we ought to or, or we should have done. And we can truthfully say we have been there or may be there right now. Sorry that we're not sorry. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? If you are here, on with us today and you would say, I'm sorry I'm not sorry. And so I wanna be sorry. I wanna ask forgiveness. I want to repent. I want to bring Jesus into my life to clean me up. And I may not be able to forget all I've done, but I'm willing to ask forgiveness. That's the first step on the Jesus journey that you're welcome and he's calling you to accept. Remember, we talked about acceptance today. So I would ask that if you need Jesus and you need forgiveness, if you'll just, in the place you are right now, repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I need much forgiveness and I will accept much love from you. God, start me on the journey. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, those of you who already have Jesus in your life, but you'd say, man, I just thought the popping up of memories and the 
guilt and the shame I feel about myself was just that no forgiveness had been given to me from God and that I hadn't forgiven others because I keep thinking of the awful things that happened. But remember, we talked about daily, weekly, annually. We'll have to revisit forgiveness. It's like exercise. But as you exercise and grow the muscle of forgiveness, it gets easier and you get stronger. So I'm gonna pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for all my friends that are watching. God, that you would help us accept that we can forgive and you do forgive. We can't forget, but that doesn't mean that there isn't forgiveness. But thank you, God, that you are a God who forgives and forgets. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.